Turn with me to that passage that we, that we read earlier. Jesus is beginning to, to slowly unravel, or sorry, John is beginning to slowly unravel for us a picture of Jesus. We have seen how he, Jesus, through two signs, one miraculous, the water being changed into wine, the other prophetic, where he said, destroy the temple and I will raise it in three days. Jesus is offering something abundant. And for those who have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe, it is truly life-changing. Life-changing. An encounter with Jesus Christ just as Nicodemus has here, cannot leave you the same person. And just like there was a link between the, the first sign and the cleansing of the temple, so there is here a link with the ending of, of verse 25 with the encounter of Nicodemus. Because remember, kind of chapters and verses are a relatively new thing. We saw last week that Jesus knew what was in a man. Then we read, now there was a man. There's a link. And we are told some, some things about this man. His name is Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. So actually what we have here, down, he would seek to live a godly life. He was, as verse 10 says, or Jesus says to him, Israel's teacher. Indeed, actually, um, the scholars tell us that in the original Greek, Jesus says to uh, Nicodemus, not just you are Israel's teacher, you are the teacher. The teacher. So, so he's kind of not a teacher. Well, he is a teacher, but you, do you know what I mean? He's not just kind of one among many. He is the teacher of the time. He is a distinguished theologian. And we are told that, that he comes to Jesus at night, possible, possibly in order to, one, have a longer chat, and, and, and two, possibly because he may not have wanted some to know that he was coming. So he came by night. There's also a certain amount of illusion because John often compares darkness and, and light. I want us to, to consider, I think it's four things I actually got. We'll see how we go in this morning regarding this account. Firstly, we see that Nicodemus inquires. As I said, he comes to Jesus at night. And right away, he, he acknowledges that Jesus has been doing miraculous signs. So don't doubt the fact that Jesus did miracles because, like, here's... Nicodemus saying, yeah, we know, we've seen it, we know it. Right, okay. So don't let miracles be a problem to you. Because it wasn't a problem to the people who saw them at the time. He says, we know it, we know it. So therefore, God must be with you. And, and he says, Rabbi, we, who are the we? Well, it possibly refers to him being there as maybe some kind of representative. Wondering, just who, who is this Jesus? These miracles, this, 
water into wine. This, this clearing of the temple and, 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 and many other miracles that were not true. Who is this? Who is he? It doesn't really kind of matter why he came or who the we were. He comes to Jesus to inquire. And actually, if you look down, you'll see that three times he inquires, verse 1, verse 4, and verse 9. And we'll kind of pick up on, on Jesus' explanations in our next point. But it's a really simple point, and a really simple application that I want to make here, is that it is good to inquire or inquire about Jesus. That is why in early January, we're going to be running another Christianity Explored course. Where people can for themselves explore the teachings of Jesus. Where they for themselves can get to see who he is, why he came, what it means to follow him. So, so here's an early challenge to you. I, I, I trust that you are all beginning to be like Andrew and Philip. Do you remember when we looked at Andrew and Philip a few weeks back now in chapter 1? What was it Andrew and Philip done? Once they found Jesus, they went and got their pals and told, come and see. Of misunderstanding and confusion concerning Christianity and concerning the person of Jesus Christ. And Christianity explored is only a tool. We don't put our trust in Christianity explored. It's only a tool. But it's a very effective tool in a very casual way, if that's the right word to use, relaxed ways, maybe a bit better, um, just to explore. Who, who, who is Jesus? Who is he? Why did he come? What does it mean to follow him? If somebody like Nicodemus, with all of his religious background and knowledge and upbringing and if somebody like the apostle Paul with all of his his credentials our growth group this, this week we, we were looking at that part in Philippians where, where he kind of boasts of how he was a Hebrew of Hebrews and uh, without coming to Jesus without inquiring without asking why should we expect others to do so And it's interesting to notice that when Nicodemus first inquires, he, show, he, he shows Jesus respect. He addresses Jesus as rabbi. That in itself is very strange because Jesus, as John 7 verse 15 says, never ever trained to be a rabbi. But he calls him rabbi. And he is willing to accept that his signs have divine approval. And, and so he comes, and, and it seems that like, like he's kind of set for a good old theological discussion. Yet Jesus' response appears to kind of side for him. And, 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 and he, Jesus just wants to cut you the chase. Jesus wants to bring him to the heart of what really matters. Jesus speaks to him about seeing the kingdom of God, of entering the kingdom of God. That, that is, Jesus is not so much interested in, as one writer says, kind of proving his, his, his divine authorization of signs. No. 
Jesus is more interested in the reality of someone's relationship with God. Jesus is more concerned about Nicodemus entering the kingdom of God, about knowing the rule and the reign of Christ now. And it's actually... It's actually Jesus who uses the term born again. Do you know that? No, sometimes you can get a bit ridiculed, oh, you born again, Christian. It's Jesus that uses the term born again. And Nicodemus is puzzled. And, and, and just like we saw last week from, from kind of those in the temple when Jesus spoke of, of destroying and raising it in three days and that was speaking of his death and his resurrection, they kind of related it to the town. Can you do this in three days? Nicodemus would say, how can I be born again? Look at the size of me. Can I go back into my mother's room? stupid, isn't it? That's silly, isn't it? He's looking at it physically. How can a man be born when he's old? Surely can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And the obvious answer is no, of course not. So there must be something else. There must be something else. There must be another way. So let's try and look and answer Nicodemus's inquiries by looking at, secondly, how Jesus explains. Jesus has spoken about being born again, or I think the authorised version has born from above. That's the entrance into the kingdom of God. And in verses 5 to 7, he further explains what this means and of how it comes about. And the first thing he does, it's a real interesting, with this religious person, the first thing that Jesus does is emphasize the need to be born again. Verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God must have kind of come as, to say the least, a bit of a shock to Nicodemus. Because as a devout Jew, as Israel's teacher, as a Pharisee, as part of the sin, he, he no doubt presumed that his place in the kingdom was assured. He had all of these things going for him. The, the first is this. Entrance into this kingdom Entrance into the kingdom of God is the same for everyone. We all come the same way. Twice, in verse 3 and verse 5, Jesus says that no one can see. No one can enter unless. So the need to be born again is for everyone. No exclusions. Religion, upbringing, colour, creed, zilch. Secondly, notice verse 7. Notice the necessity of it. See what Jesus says? You should be born again. Maybe you should be born again. No. You must. You must be born again. It is imperative. We all come the same way and it's imperative that we come. When Jesus speaks of water and the spirit, 
I think here there, there is a reference again to some of the Old Testament prom promises. Remember, he is speaking to someone who is steeped in the Old Testament. And, and, and I think Jesus is speaking here of some of the messy, the, the promises of, of the messianic age when, when the prophets described that coming era of the Messiah where, when the transforming spirit of God would be poured out generously on, on, on all people. If you were to turn to, for example, um, Ezekiel 36, we read these verses, verses 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Well, that new era, as we have seen, has now come. And the proof that that new era is here is mounting up, water into wine, clearing of the temple, many miraculous signs, the lame walking, the blind seeing, all what was prophesied concerning the coming Messiah. And it's important, friends, that we see that new birth that have been born again, that becoming a Christian, whatever term we want to use, but as Jesus uses born again, maybe we should just stick with that. It is important that we see that it is the work of the Holy Spirit who works often in mysterious ways. The old hymn is so right, isn't it? I know not how the Spirit moves, convicting Men of sin. And that's why, like, you know, we, we, we shouldn't get too hit up about, like, in, in, in our evangelism, because our, our role in evangelism is just being faithful and sowing the seed. It's the work of the Spirit to take the seed and convert. We can't convert anybody. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that. Jesus speaks in verse 8 of, of, of the wind because uh, there's a certain, I think, amount of kind of wordplay going on here because in Greek, the word for wind and spirit is the same. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Salvation. Being born again, being born from above is a work of the spirit. And it is the combination of the spirit of God as he takes the word of God and he breathes new life into all who will believe. <coughs> Thinking again of Ezekiel and the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel could have prophesied till the king, but they became alive. There is life in Jesus, new life in Jesus. What of water? What did Jesus mean by that? Well, well, I, I think it, it kind of, I think it relates to baptism. We saw how John's baptism was a forerunner, and of how now Jesus, in, in chapter one, verse thirty-three, is a baptizer in the Spirit. Yet still, maybe even more so, Nicodemus struggles to 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 get it. 
And how can this be? And Jesus tells him, verses 11 to 30, look, I'm speaking the truth. One of Jesus' titles is the way, the truth, the life. I'm speaking the truth of what we know, of what we have seen. But still you people do not accept that he came to his own. But his own did not receive him. And it all seems rather confusing for Nicodemus. And Sorry, maybe it's all seems a bit confusing for you. But let's try and unravel it a little bit further. Let's, let's look at how Jesus gives an example. You see, verses 14 to 15 would have immediately struck a chord with Nicodemus. We, 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 as I said earlier, we do need to remember that Jesus is speaking to someone who knows the Old Testament. We need to kind of dig a little bit deeper, but, but Nicodemus would have got it right away. He, in, in these verses, Jesus is speaking about an event in the history of God's people as, as recorded in Numbers 21:49. The background was that the people of God had once again began to murmur and moan against God and against God's servant Moses. Let me just say, God takes the grumbling and the moaning of his people seriously. He questioned, why are we in the desert forgetting of their glorious deliverance from slavery in Egypt? And, and, and we're told that because of that, and due to sin, God sent venomous snakes among them, and some who were bitten died. The people then realized that they had sinned. And they come to Moses and they ask, he tells Moses to, to make a snake and, and, and to put it on a pole. And anyone who had been bitten only needed to look up and they would live. So the story there, yes, is, is an account of the people sin, sinning. But as always with God, it is also one of faith and one of grace and one of healing and one of restoration. And Jesus uses this, this account here, just as he did with the, kept, with the, temple, clear, the, the temple clearing, to, to show Nicodemus and to show us that Jesus would also one day have to be lifted up, which speaks of his death and of his resurrection. And Jesus would have to be lifted up and die and, re and be resurrected in order that people might know forgiveness, in order that people might have eternal life, in order that people may know and may enter and may see the kingdom. You see, all through the Old Testament, there is a building up to and the pointing towards not just the coming of the Messiah, but of his death and of his resurrection. That thin red line that runs right through. And Nicodemus, as the teacher of Israel, as the teacher of Israel, should know and should understand. And if anyone should grasp that this is the Messiah, it is Nicodemus. Yeah, as I said, or as John says in chapter 1, doesn't he? Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Nicodemus has inquired of Jesus, probably the best known verse in the whole of the Bible. And it speaks to us of God's love, a love so great 
that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross. We rightly remember today those who have laid down their life in sacrifice. But there is no greater sacrifice than the giving of God, of his son, Jesus. And he gave him in order that all who believe, and there's the crucial part, all who believe, that is, all who believe in his death and in his resurrection and who follow his teachings shall not perish but have eternal life. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the great news. God doesn't just say that he loves us. God has shown that he loves us. It's a world of difference. And just as the snake was put up on a pole and lifted up and those who looked were healed, so Jesus was lifted up on a cross so that all who look to him, to him, can know forgiveness and can know peace and can know joy, and can know hope, and can know life eternal with Jesus. And do you see why the gospel is good, great news? No one else has this to offer. People are searching. Here's the evidence. Here's the proof of God's love. His all-embracing love. If you ever doubt that God loves you, look to the cross. For God so, didn't just love the world, he so loved the world. They see the unfathomable depth and the all-inclusive. Do you know this love? I'm not asking if you know about it up here. Kind of Nicodemus knew all about it up here, but he was still lost. Do you know the love of Jesus? Have you experienced it? Do you know the peace and the joy and the forgiveness? What more evidence do you want that God so loves you? interesting because you read further on don't we notice verse 17 for God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him you know sometimes we Christians can be quite good or at least quite quick at condemning yet here Jesus did not we're told Jesus did not come to condemn a point that we'll see when we eventually get to, to John chapter 8 verse 11 makes that equally clear as, as it is here uh, you remember that incident where, where um, the leaders bring the woman that was caught in, adulter caught in adultery interesting that they only brought the woman but we'll maybe look at that a wee bit in more detail when we get to John 8 but you, mean, you know the story well don't you and Jesus tells her well Neither do I condemn you. But he did say, go and leave your life of sin. 
Is that a message for someone here this morning? Go and leave your life of sin. Put it behind you. And in verse 18, we have again the theme that runs through all of the Bible in that there is only two ways to live. There is no middle way. There is no third way. There are two ways to live. Either we believe and are not condemned or we do not believe and we stand condemned already. And I'm well aware that there's a message that the world doesn't like to hear. It's God's word. John goes on to further talk about one of his kind of main themes regarding light and darkness and God willing we'll pick up on that next time. Here's Nicodemus. With, I, with this I finish. The teacher of Israel. He was a godly. In many ways he was a righteous man. But he was a lost man. And he comes to Jesus at night. And he inquires as to who Jesus is. And Jesus takes the time. It's good to take time with people. It's good to take time. It's costly, yes. But Jesus takes the time to explain by example and by evidence that the way into God's kingdom is through belief in Jesus. And the real challenge for each one of us is this. Where do we stand in relation to this? I don't stand in judgment. I don't stand to condemn. But for the grace of God, I don't know where I would be this morning. Do you believe, truly believe in Jesus, the Son of God who loved you and who gave himself for you? Have you, as it were, looked to him? Have you turned to him? Have you trusted in him? And are you following him today? If so, then as Paul writes in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What a position to be. There is no better place I would rather be this morning than knowing that I am not under the condemnation of God by his grace and his grace alone. And if you have never truly turned to him, if you have never repented, you stand condemned already. But there's an escape. Look to Jesus and live. Look to Jesus and live. Because his love is vast as the ocean. And his grace takes our sin. Let's pray.